In this episode, we will talk about how we maintained our relationships with family and friends during our graduate school time and if and how we made new friends. Hey everyone, welcome back to Endless Possibilities. So first, let's talk about keeping in touch with our family and friends. Alright, so my question is, how did you get in touch with your family and friends during graduate school? And why did you think it was important to do that? For me, continue communicating with family after I left was very important, especially during my master years. Because um, I think I've said this in the previous episode, I actually left the Philippines for the first time when I was still 20 years old. So all of my life from since I was born until 20 years old, I was living with family. And when I moved, it was a very, very drastic change for everyone, especially for my parents and for me. It is very important to continue communicating so that, of course, we can maintain our close relationship with each other. And it was very important for my parents to know that I am safe in a very foreign land. And, of course, when I was... Um, when I went to Japan for my PhD, I was a bit older that time. But still, um, prior to leaving the Philippines for Japan, I was also living with my family for two years. That was after my master's. And the same reason, it was very important to continue the close relationship with family members. And important for me to let my parents know that I am safe and I'm okay. I also agree the same reasons. Actually, we have very similar stories about uh, going first time uh, to graduate school and then it's the first time you leave home after living with your, with your family, with your parents for all, all your young adulthood. So it was important to, to, to make them know that I'm okay, but also important for me to uh, have the connection, like feeling still part of something or feel um, or at least maintain the connection with the family and friends because it also helped with uh, coping with being alone and far away so it was helping me to maintain a good like a good spirits and a positive uh, overlook about being alone very far from home and uh, just a, a question about what were the ways you were doing that before? Was it different uh, between masters and when PhD? Um, in my case, it was a bit different, especially masters. When was that? Two thousand eight to two thousand ten, and that was still the very very early stage of social media. So I could remember very clearly that when. Um, I communicate with my family and friends. I often used Yahoo Messenger during that time. And then during my PhD years, that was the rise of Facebook and all of these social media um, platforms. So I could easily see my family members and friends updating their profile in these social platforms. And 
um, my parents um, during the when I was in masters, I think we did not have internet yet. So I was communicating through my sister who had internet at work. And when I want to talk to my parents, I usually use um, telephone, landline. And I used to buy these international cards. There's some amount and then you can talk via the telephone for one hour and it's prepaid. And when it's when the load is totally used up, then you just cut off the they just cut off the conversation that was the the situation when i was in masters but for phd we used a lot of skype and a lot of video calls and social media so i could say that phd time was easier and better communication with them compared to masters yeah it's funny that you touched on that because exactly and then there is the added uh, factor of cost as a graduate student, you don't have that much money to spend on extras. So, yeah, and then it was, you had to make a plan. So, okay, I'm going to call my family and I have this money. So, my money is enough maybe for 20 minutes, for 10 minutes call, or for this one message or three messages. So, it was a very different experience five, seven, ten years ago to communicate. So, I think now people... If you really want to keep in touch, like, like very uh, intensively, you can. And you have the choice to do either. So you can control the frequency to which you connect with your family and friends. But before, it was really maybe connected with the access you had to internet and then the, the money, financial resources to do that. So that's interesting to see the difference. Yeah, so did you buy the card thingy when you were in China? Yeah, similar, similar. We had the, <laughs> we, we had uh, either, yes, there was a card for international calls that you can, you could buy specifically for international, especially for China. They had a little bit, uh, because of security reasons, it was, the cards were very different. It was kind of a process to make a call to like overseas. And I, I could remember, I could not even use my cell phone. Using that card, I could not use my cell phone. Oh, okay. I think my first year and a half when I was in Korea, the smartphone was, the smartphone technology was not yet developed. So we used the usual qwerty we called qwerty phones so i could still remember i i was looking for phone booths within the university to use these international calling cards okay i think i was a little bit more lucky on that side but then again the cards is like you are using a different i don't know is the name is vpn but it was really as if you're losing a different line so you really it's not really using your number or your phone so it was a process and then also expensive if people wanted to contact you. So you kind of felt a little bit more obligated to do the first move because it was more expensive for them to do that. How often did you call home, by the way? I did not have a set schedule, but at least I would try to talk with them once a month, like a lengthy conversation. But... Uh, when messages were SM SMS texting 
is getting a little bit more um, uh, common, I will try to text once a week or something because it was a little bit less expensive and uh, you could use your normal uh, credits on your phone. But for calling and stuff, uh, maybe once a month. Uh, what about you? Then it's almost the same as my case. But I could remember once a month, but I think there are some months that I call once in every three months, something like that. That's for phone call at home. But then for Yahoo Messenger, which was the in thing during that time, I could remember I constantly messaged my sister, I think almost every day. I could just remember now, that was the early stage of sending emoticons. Actually, Yahoo oh. was one of the pioneers of that software. Uh, memories. So now, moving gears a little bit, I'm curious about um, making new friends when you are in graduate school. So how did you make new friends when you were in, in Korea and in Japan? Do you have any specific uh, process or any specific uh, story about that? Making friends in Japan and Korea were quite very different but very special in their own ways. So for Korea, um, if you've listened to the previous episodes, um, I've mentioned that I was sponsored by one professor. And before I left for Philippines, I was constantly communicating with this one student who was already part of that professor's lab. So she was kind of assisting me in many paperworks and many preparations. So even before I left for Philippines, I somehow already had a friend or a contact in South Korea. So I left Philippines, and when I arrived to Korea, basically both of them, that girl, that student, and my professor were my first few friends when I arrived. And then through that student who was part of that same lab as me, who eventually became part of that same lab, she introduced me to everyone in the department. Yeah, they literally introduced me to each single lab. There was one day that um, we went through each of the lab, and in each lab, we were introduced to the lab members, the students, and the professors. But um, it is in important also to note that in this university, it was quite small. So everyone knows everybody. So that was quite different from our department, if you could remember. So we are quite large, right? And even our own lab when we were in Japan, our lab itself is already composed of 25 to 30 members in total, both professors and students. But in South Korea, the whole department, I think, is about 25 to 30. Yeah, so one lab could have three to four students, and there were some lab who had many projects, so they had 10 students. And in that... Um, in that university standard that is already quite big. The difference between the university itself would make a big impact on how you make friends as well. So my main point is in South Korea, it was quite small university. So the people is like a close-knit community. While in Japan, it was a very large university. In South Korea, I think I was one of the few first foreign students in that university. So even the Korean students and the professors were, were quite 
um, it's like university news that there's a foreign student in Japan in our university. It was a very international university, right? So yes. in Korea, most of my friends, if not all of my friends, are Koreans, whereas in Japan, 90% of my friends are foreigners. Um, in Japan, of course, you are one of my first friends. I just remember the very first day that we arrived and the very first day that we met. So um, maybe you, you know this very well. Most of our friends are through the student organization, international student organization, and friends of friends. I mean, friends of international students. So mostly through connections. Honestly, because when I was in Korea and I felt like the Korean people really welcomed me in a way that we never, I mean, I never tried eating alone in Korea because of the support of the Korean students and professors. It's like if one goes to lunch, everybody goes to lunch. I was expecting the same treatment by the Japanese people. I mean, at least in our lab. But then when... Of course, bef that's after we met, that you and I. So when I was staying in the lab, in our lab in Japan, I was thinking that I was waiting for them to like, okay, when is our eating time? And when, when will everybody have um, dinner time together? I was expecting the same thing because that was my experience before. So I had this thinking that maybe Japan and Korea will have same cultural ways because I've heard from my Korean professor that they learned or they copied many of the Japanese culture from, um, yeah, Japanese culture. So I was expecting the same. But then it was a bit of a shock for me because I never had close connections with the Japanese, at least during my early days. And it was mostly foreign students. But it was a blessing, actually. Because my two experiences were not so different because um, in both cases, I, I was a, a receiver of a scholarship. So it's not, it was not an individual uh, thing. So we even going to China, I went in a group of students, even though we went to different uh, universities. And then almost similar to your case, but it happened when I was already in, in China. They assigned, uh, for every international student who arrived, they assigned uh, a Chinese student to be their partner. So they would help with paperwork and the initial daily life um, processes that you have to do. So I was assigned to maybe two, one, one girl and one boy. And then uh, they would help me with official stuff, but also they will sh they would show me, for example, oh, this is the place to eat, and this is the place that you can go and shop, and many social type of things that you can do with your friends. But actually, they did not end up being my clo close friends. At this, interesting enough, the guy became my friend until today, but I did not talk with the girl as much. Because since I was in um, in a scholarship program with many other international students, it and we our dorm was only for international students. I end up uh, being friends with international students, comparing like having more friends from other countries than the the Chinese students, and also um, mostly. 
the the friend it was easy to make a friendship by association because we are all international students and uh, uh, and live in the same place so I end up being friends with people from various departments and various countries and for our lab uh, or for our research group we would have uh, social gatherings but specific ones so okay today we're going to eat but for example after a big seminar or after graduation or after entrance exam so although I could have some experiences with going in a big group but it, it was for specific events it was not something like okay let's go for lunch and, and other meals and in Japan it was almost I was not it was so surprised with uh, the behavior uh, like like it was not a shock for me because I was coming already from that culture of okay international students in one side uh, local students in the other and ac actually a little bit opposite than you because even though it was not it was not um, often or it's not said that they will go and eat in a group there were occasions that they would say to the lab okay do you want to eat and let's go it was not often, but it happened. So for me, it was a surprise sometimes. Like, oh, okay, I can join my lab mates to eat. Yes. And I think I even did not go more often just because maybe of language. Uh, yes. Or also the gender. Because at the beginning, my lab had few girls. So the boys were more comfortable being within themselves and also speaking in Japanese. So, yeah. Mm. So your university but, in China and in Jap and the university that we, we studied in Japan, they're about the same size? Yes, yes. The Chinese university is very big. And they, I think they were in their third or fourth year of having a specific program that they would receive a lot of international students. So they had yeah departments that were really dedicated to or the each faculty had um, organized themselves to really receive students so you had the, you you would have your Chinese partner or uh, a room or for example uh, for for example in my school my department they had master a master's program for international students and a master's program for Chinese students it was different we did not share the same classes. Our classes were much, much smaller, and our program was uh, uh, shorter because the master program in China is three years: two years of schoolwork, uh, thesis, etc., and then the third year is um, uh, internship. They do almost one year internship. It doesn't matter if it's different company, but during that year you can move from each company, but you will focus more on internships and field work. So, yeah, that was this distinction. And also, like as I said, in Japan, similar, most of my friends were international students. You or, for example, if I would see if many people from a certain country, a certain country is... Uh, was in the university, you see like you guys, Filipinos and then Indonesians, it was a little bit easier to, yes, to have friends like that. 
yeah, as I've said, the size of the university itself could impact how you make friends because, um, yeah, now that you mentioned the Filipinos, I just remembered the Filipino student organization when I was studying in Japan was a big instrument for me making new friends and making, like, what do you call senpai? Seniors to help you in so many um, so many ways. Yeah, but when I was in Korea, we, because as I've said, there are very few international students. I think during my time, we, we were only five. We could not, I mean, we did not even have one organization. So in all these processes, both um, for keeping in touch with family and friends back home and making new friends, uh, did you find any particular aspect that was very difficult or frustrating and then also the rewarding parts of it can you share some um first um about keeping in touch with family and friends the most frustrating part for me was very good internet connection because i was in japan and korea these two countries have very very um fast and good internet connection but even if i wanted to connect to my family Philippines did not have good internet um, speed and during those times. Actually, it's just recently that there we have decent internet speed. So the most frustrating was, for example, during video calls, we were easily cut off in the middle of the conversation because the internet was not so good. This, this was one of my biggest frustrations. The rewarding thing about keeping in touch with family and friends, despite um, the not-so-good connection with the internet, of course, you continue continually become a part of their life, and you they continually become a part of your life. So you update each other, and you continue that bond. So you still maintain the relationship. Frustrating part about making new friends because I studied both master's and PhD where the country was not um, English-speaking country. The language was the most frustrating part. But the reward, I think I could um, easily say that both the friends that I established in Korea and friends in Japan, I could say that maybe 90 or 99% of them, they are lifelong friends. Like until now, they it's really a very very deep friendship. In my case, uh, in terms of one of the main frustrations in getting in touch with family and friends back home, since the, there is a big kind of big time difference between Mozambique and uh, both Japan and China. Sometimes it it was not, or many times it was not easy to find a common or a suitable time for both parties. So that was a little bit frustrating because sometimes you just want to talk now, but the person is at work or the person is sleeping. So that was uh, a little bit frustrating at times, the time differences. It was seven, eight hours or so. Yeah. And rewarding is almost in the vein, same vein as you, so you don't feel disconnected. You feel that you are still part of something because when you are abroad, you are a foreigner, so there are some things during the day or during the month, or there is always something that will remind you that you are not from there. And it's good to um, 
to have a channel or to have a way to feel that you belong somewhere and keeping up with your family and friends is a good way to do that As for making new friends the most frustrating thing maybe was the starting over again because sometimes uh, your period in Japan or in China were not the same so you meet somebody that will graduate in six months or that will go home sooner than you or you will go home before so it was a little bit uh, bittersweet to make friends and be even more closer to somebody that you know they will leave soon or you will leave soon that was a little bit frustrating and you had to manage all those expectations all those uh, feelings of loss it yes and rewarding it's like community it's good to have a community it's good to share um, what is going on with you in or like live because there's so much you can do in the telephone texting so you all you you always need this personal connection with somebody either is if it's japanese or international uh, international people like foreign people like you so i think it's uh it's rewarding to do that and also to keep you grounded because sometimes you need uh, you just need to talk with somebody you just need to interact you just need to do something fun and friends uh, uh, are there I uh, should be there for for you when you need that so in closing this episode we see that keeping in touch with family and friends and making new friends can be quite challenging but it's also necessary so let's share some tips or some lessons about about it in my case the biggest lesson at the same time a tip would be it's very important to not forget about what you left in your original country but at the same time it's also important to move forward with your new life in um, especially if you are doing graduate school abroad because it's important to make new friends as well so because life ke- life keeps moving on forward so so should you so yeah establishing new friends and starting a new life again is also important and for um, one good tip, I think, especially in making new friends, would be joining organizations and joining events that are formed by universities because they are actually very good instruments in meeting new people and meeting support system. I also want to emphasize the, what you said about joining events or joining organizations because they are very, very good resources that that are available to you and most of those especially connected to the university are free so you should take advantage of that and the other thing is also take advantage of the social media and the uh, means of communication that are so easy now so at hand so you should really maybe find even creative ways to uh, communicate with your family or keep in touch because it's not only about calling texting you can do many other things remotely with uh, with your family and friends that will make your connection even stronger because uh, as I mentioned life 
moves forward. So everybody's growing up, everybody's changing. So you should also adapt. Maybe um, your thing is not texting, but you can also, for example, read a book with your friends, start projects like that can have inputs from both countries that are unique. There are many other things that these days the internet and what the internet tools that exist can facilitate that. And as for uh, making new friends, maybe a tip would be to be a little bit more uh, adventurous and brave. Uh, sometimes, especially if you're doing graduate school outside of your home country, uh, you would wait for the uh, locals to approach to you, but you can also do the same. Sometimes they are as shy as as you are so if both of you are shy nobody will communicate so somebody has to uh, initiate the conversation so so my last tip would just to take initiative as much as you can thank you so much for listening we will see you again on the next episode of endless possibilities